Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. Welcome to UUCSW Reflections. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we reflect on recent sermon themes and answer questions from the congregation. If you'd like to submit a question, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org, and be sure to say which sermon your question is about, if applicable. Don't worry, we won't share the names or identifying information about question askers on this podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the sermons, stories of things gone perfectly wrong, stories of serendipity and awe, and stories of resilience in hard times, all of which can be found in this podcast feed. Hi, Laurel. Hello. I think I'm supposed to say we're back at it, right? Just to make you feel like we're really here. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you have we're back perfect, at it. <laughs> you have perfect agency and autonomy to say whatever you are moved to say. I'm trying any to time. meet your needs. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it does make me feel comfortable and nice. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Here yeah. we are. Um, and this is the last Q&A before your summer break. So. Yeah, I know, because we strange UUs follow an academic calendar, so we do less yeah. in the summertime. Slash, I think, because church buildings are really hot in the summer, I think <laughs> is also really part of where this came from. So, yes. I mean, that's one benefit of Zoom church is you can have the it is true. climate control comfort of I your know, home. although our sanctuary is air conditioned, so, yes. you know. We are pampered. <laughs> A little advertisement for the fall. <laughs> Just one more, like one more piece of evidence of our pampered worldliness. Um. <laughs> they are air source heat pumps, though, which are like super eco friendly and great. So, ooh, that's nice. Go UUCSW. I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, I, maybe we should put solar panels on the church. At some I point. think we're, there have been talks of that. Ooh, that we're renovating the steeple anyway. You might as well. <laughs> Just put some stuff up there. Yeah. <laughs> Holy can look a lot of different ways, as we're going to discuss today. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so basically, this month was all about storytelling. All three yes. of these are called Stories of Blank. Do you yep. want to just kick us off by talking about how storytelling is part of you theology and practice? Yeah. So part of um, where Unitarianism came from um, was this rejection of the idea that the Bible was the only source of wisdom um, and that only ministers could interpret interpret that. And so there is this shift, especially with the transcendentalists, um, like the nature writers like Emerson and Thoreau, um, were really, they're really known examples of this, of people who sort of pushed back and said like, but actually my experience of the natural world also teaches me something of transcendence and sort of imparts some kind of wisdom to me. Um, And so this shift towards um, the sort of like locus of power or the capacity for like sacred interpretation and experience, it shifted from this sort of like high church, only the ministers responsible to that for that. And with the Unitarians, I mean, among many others, it shifted to this, like, no, in our living and in our being, we can all have these experiences of transcendence and sacredness. 
Um, and some people call that God. Some people don't call that God. Um, but so telling these stories of our own living and our own wisdom and our own sort of grappling is part of this lineage of seeing lived experience as um, a source of wisdom and one that we all have the power to interpret for ourselves. Um, so that was the thinking with with sort of this, the whole series this month. Um, and so the recordings that we have are specifically the stories that I told. Um, but the first service... Um, what was it? Things Gone Perfectly Wrong was there were three of us that told stories. Um, and then the middle service, we did what we call views from the pews where we sort of opened it up. I told a really short story um, and then there was space for congregants to just sort of speak up and tell a story. And there were a lot of really sweet stories. There were a couple like how I met my spouse stories. <laughs> um, it was really, really sweet. Um and then the the final service um, was the sort of full length ser- sermon for me, um, and we'd because it was Memorial Day weekend, um, we also read a story from a military chaplain as sort of the first part of the the service. Um, so it was really this like month of storytelling, which was really beautiful, um, and we got to sort of learn things about each other that we didn't necessarily know, which was lovely. So yeah. it was fun. I think that's so, I mean, that permeates so much uh, of the rest of the way you use Move for the World, I think, that anti-authoritarianist oh, yeah. streak. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, I think sometimes <laughs> it can read a little petulant. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> like, I'm going to read the fifth. <laughs> I'm going to say anything here. But I think, like, when it's channeled, like in the okay in the best when it's channeled in the very best of ways it's like incredibly powerful for social social justice work because it's like saying like well just because things have been this way or just because like someone with a fancy like seal next to their name says things are this way like well that doesn't mean things have to be that way and like it's not just your job as like right an ordained, like a politically exactly. ordained or however other person to tell us, right. you know, how things are supposed to be. So, well, and that was when I'm trying to remember what month was it? Like March when I talked about Cornell West and the sort of three core tenets of liberal religion and the idea that this kind of questioning is one of the core things. Um, to me, that is part of the major distinction between like more conservative kinds of religion where, and we're talking like, theologically conservative not necessarily politically conservative though they can align which causes confusion um but liberal religion is like about questioning and about trying to interpret like whatever you see as sacred and the world as it is um so it's sort of constantly trying to pull into the present versus more conservative kinds of religion that are focused on like the way things were before and trying to maintain that and you see that either in like sort of biblically literal (laughs) literal that was terrible um forms of christianity or even like um in um well conservative judaism is actually kind of this middle ground um but like hasidic judaism or or sort of more literal forms of judaism there's this like trying to 
um, follow like the laws of the Torah in like very literal ways that are sort of trying to hearken to the past. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting distinction. Um, and I just went on a total rabbit hole. <laughs> I listen. I live for your it's all, theological you know, rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> it's also hot out. Who knows who's paying yes. attention. <laughs> Um, can I also say that, like, I see you when you named the stories of things gone perfectly wrong. Like, that word perfect was, like, incredibly intentional, if I know uh-huh. anything, because uh-huh. it's, like, an anti-perfectionist manifesto uh-huh. is basically that. Uh-huh. So I just wanted yep. to, to say that, like, I see you. <laughs> oh, thank you. And as that a one fellow, didn't get past like, you? <laughs> no. As a fellow, like, recovering perfectionist, yep. like, the assumption that you're going to mess things up and just like starting from there instead of yeah. like being really panicked about messing things up so is liberating really helpful yeah especially yeah. when you're doing things that are really loaded like yes really yes. emotionally like yes. loaded and careful like yes being too careful to the point of not engaging right right, right. Like, it's it's totally yeah. unhelpful yeah yeah and and i yeah i see that especially sometimes in justice movements too where there's this like like going after somebody who doesn't get something perfectly right because they didn't they're like not woke enough and I both understand the like sort of feedback and naming when someone does harm and then there's also this like okay but when are we sort of still in like toxic white supremacy culture of I'm going to like prove that you did this imperfectly to prove that I'm like I'm holier than thou and it all gets real icky and sticky yeah I mean I think that I mean that in particular the way that we talk about that and like terms like cancel culture just like yeah give me hives because like people are always engaged on that in bad faith it feels like to me those conversations yeah but like because there's so many things involved and like like us moving together towards like a better and more respectful understanding of right. the world as opposed to like claiming a righteousness that right right is like strident you know, putting other people yeah exactly like that can look and feel sort of similar from the outside exactly but like right right and it's and it's it can also look like tone policing to say, well, right. you can't come to me with that attitude, or I won't be able to hear you. Like that's you know, right? A, a tool that white supremacy has been using to silence people right. speaking out against right. things that are wrong for a long time. So yeah, um, I think like just generally, if we're in community with each other as a place to start, those conversations right. get easier. Right. Um, right. As opposed to yelling at strangers online. <laughs> like, if you're exactly, which is in like, community with someone who says something that hurts you, like, they will care that they hurt you. Right, right. And there's enough trust to have the conversation yeah. of, like, where did this go wrong? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway. Look at us being good universalists. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no such thing as being a perfect universalist, but we can um, be I good said ones. good universalists, I think. <laughs> Although you, you have did. a recording, so you can prove me wrong. It was good. No, I'm saying, I'm saying. We yeah, can't there's be no perfect. perfect universalism. No. Perfection doesn't belong to us. No. Um, but what does belong to us, transition, professional transition, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> is um like intuition and sacredness, which is the mm-hmm. serendipity and awe one. Yep. Um, and in the spirit of serendipity and awe and like reclaiming intuition and taking mm-hmm. it away from like authorities, I yep. want to go out on a total tangent and just celebrate a recent Facebook post from the UA. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so here for this. <laughs> yes. Okay. So there was a recent controversy around a um, charismatic young man named Lil Nas X, who is a... <laughs> Charismatic a. young man is such like a churchy de- description of him. <laughs> I mean, he's been described a lot of ways in a lot of profiles. Yep. I'm just trying not yep. to be repetitive. Yep. Um, but anyway, he's like a black queer artist who, mm-hmm. uh, if you've heard this, his first breakout hit was Old Town Road. Um, but he recently released a video for his new song, Montero, Call Me By Your Name, Montero being mm-hmm. his given name, Lil Nas X is not his given name. Um, oh, I didn't realize that was what it was. Yes. He okay, wrote... I was like, I don't know what yeah, Montero means, but cool. Montero, yeah, Montero Hill was his given name. Um, okay. And he actually wrote a... It was so sweet. Like, after he... Anyway, I'll tell this story after I tell what the subject <laughs> of the video was, for those who may not have seen it. Um, but it's, like, a very gay very racy depiction of yeah. uh Lil Nas X in the Garden of Eden and then he yep. uh in heels rides a stripper pole down into hell and gives Satan yep. a lap dance yep. um and it's like very intentionally like um blasphemous I guess you would say yeah. of towards like traditional right. uh Christian imagery of heaven and hell Right. Um, and there is obviously predictably and also kind of intentionally like he's, yeah. you know, controversy, you know, helps his brand. But he got a lot of uh, <laughs> backlash, although, of course, like no one deserves backlash of that kind or would invite it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was a powerful statement. We'll say that. Yes. And, and, he, I, and I think one that was yeah. intended to be liberating for himself yeah. and a lot of yeah. people who've been um, told they're less than by yes. different forms of religion um, for being queer or different or anything or sexual right. or like all of the above. Right. And so alongside that release, he wrote like a, a letter to his young self um, that he posted oh. publicly um, saying Montero, like, this is for us. I know we said we were never going to be one of those kinds of gay people and we would never tell anyone, but like, this is for you. And like, we're in a better place now or whatever he said. Um, that's so sweet. I didn't know so, that part. Yes. Yes. So this is explicitly like something he's doing for the young closeted version of himself and for other people like him who have really deeply yeah. rooted religious trauma from this yep. specific imagery. Um, and it's, I mean, to my knowledge, he is not a UU, but, um, (laughs) it's a very, maybe he just doesn't know about us yet. Yeah. You know, (laughs) maybe, but it's a very like, um, UU reclaiming of your own sacredness in the face of like authority figures denying it, you denying you it. Yep. Um, and so anyway, the UUA basically just posted it and said like, yes. We are 
we love you, Lil Nas X, good job. Um, <laughs> and it was verbatim a, what it said. <laughs> I mean, didn't it sound verbatim? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, no, verbatim, what it started, our Unitarian Universalist theology calls us to fight for queer liberation, which is a little mm-hmm. bit more UUA branding, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, we um, love those long words. <laughs> yes, but so they, they linked to an article by um, a uh, pastor who was talking about how, like, good for him for reclaiming yeah. the symmetry and, like, yeah, going against his religious trauma. Um, yeah. And then there's, so, I mean, this was written by a pastor. So mm-hmm. there is reference to um, God. So one of the quotes, this is written by Reverend Lewis, and he said, our sexualities, genders, ethnicities, all these identities honor the complexity and beauty of God. And so being a petulant and contrarian Unitarian, I was like, <laughs> well, I was so with you until you started talking about God. Yeah. <laughs> but then I was like, uh, you know, people use God to mean a lot of different things. Yeah. And like, I get what you're getting at. You're talking about yep. sacredness yeah. and yep. whatever. Um, so... I put away my petulant contrarianism to embrace the fullness of this article. You did a little, you did a little translating, I, you know, whatever words work, God like yeah. works for some people and for other people have this like hives reaction and, you know, know thyself and pick the words you need. But yeah, you had an experience differentiating like anthropomorphic God. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit in coming of age. Um, so the coming of age service was this past Sunday, um, which for those who don't know is sort of you, you, um, it's closer to like you, you bar mitzvah than it is to, I think in Catholicism, it's confirmation because so in Judaism, your bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah is when you're recognized as being, um, old enough and sort of skilled enough to be a practicing member of the community. Um, So it's about sort of belonging and your role in spiritual practice versus like a lot of Christian traditions where it's about accepting a creed. Um, And so for us, as you use coming of age, obviously is not about like accepting a creed because we don't, that's like not our vibe. Um, So for us, it's similar with that for us. Yeah. So, so (laughs) similarly for us coming of age is, Um, a recognition that these people who've grown up in our congregation are no longer small children. um, And they're now sort of making that transition into like being teenagers and adults um, where they have agency or more agency, right, in their own decisions. And to say like, we trust you with making your own choices about what you believe and how to sort of engage in spiritual practice and how you want to engage in this religious community. Um, and so, um, I had a conversation or, well, some, some extent of a conversation about the idea of, um, often the sort of coming of age, ironically, what we call them as credos, which as a UU, I also feel surly about since like, we don't do that. So why would we ask teenagers to like (laughs) write a credo? Um, But so it's sort of as part of this service, historically, um, the youth who are in the coming of age program sort of write a statement of what they believe. Um, And often they're just, they can be really shallow in this like, I don't believe in God, end of sentence. Um, 
And so part of what we talked a little bit about is how the God that people are often rejecting when they say that is like the sort of man, white man with long hair in Birkenstocks in the clouds controlling everything, like AKA Zeus, basically, slash Jesus, maybe, and how that is um, an anthropomorphic idea of God, meaning um, a God that looks like a human and acts like a human, which is like a very, very specific um, definition of God that like, frankly, reads very Western and very colonial and very white and like all these things. Um, And that version of God, though, it sort of um, I think is the most, I don't know, it, it's like the most notorious, maybe. Um, it is certainly not pervasive. Um, and so, like, even when I use the word God, I'm rarely, rarely is that what's actually coming to my mind. Um, because there are all these different kinds of theologies, like there's process theology by that defines God as like the collective unfoldingness right, which is, like, so far from, like, man with the pointer in the clouds, right? Like, Mm -hmm. those are not related definitions. Um, Or this sort of, like, like, the aliveness of the world in a a more, like, naturalistic kind of way of understanding the sacred. Um, Like, other people also would use God to refer to that. Um, and so there are all these different kinds of theologies. And so there's part of me that like, similarly, like God is this word that's like this thorn in people's side, ironically, to use a Jesus image. Mm-hmm. That was funny on my part. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and can, can be a source of like hurt. And so I think it's important to sort of tease out like when, Often people, when they think of that idea of God, they're thinking of a very, very, very specific definition, um, which is not a monolith. And so to sort of remove that like sense of power that that definition reigns supreme, because it does not. Um, So I think that's that's helpful. And I found like ironically going to a Christian seminary where I kind of went in with that, like, I think when people are talking about God, that's what they mean. Um, but even in, like, Trinitarian theology, Jesus is, like, the embodied, like, human God person. But then, like, the Father and the Holy Spirit, if you're talking Trinity, like, those aren't, like, really necessarily personified. I mean, mm. cer- certainly the Father sounds more like it. Um, but even in Christian theology, if like Jesus is sort of God made flesh in human experience, that assumes that God is actually not human, right? Mm -hmm. For that transition to have been necessary. So like, even within a very Christian Trinitarian definition, that does not mean that God is a human. And even like biblically, when Moses like meets God in the burning bush and asks God's name, the response is this like nonsensical um, "I am that I am," which like makes no sense as a translation, mm-hmm. and is translates effectively more to like beingness, right? Mm-hmm. Which still flies in the face of that like God is the Zeus guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's helpful to like complicate definitions so that these words that are really powerful religious words are not owned by 
colonial ideas of mm. like who matters, right? Um, so that's a little, it's another little theological rabbit hole for you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting because alongside the, you know, the ubiquity of the word being associated with like a specific, like interpretation, even that it's assumed to be male, right? Yeah. Like, well, hmm, male pronouns are why. used to refer to God a lot. Right. Um, hmm, I wonder why. But also, like, <laughs> most of, if I think of, like, any painting or <laughs> any artwork I've seen depicting, like, God, as opposed to, yeah. like, a God, like, God, Yeah. Um, what comes to mind is not, like, an amorphous beingness like yeah it's like Sistine Chapel right (laughs) so yeah I think it's like a combination of like the imagery and the language that gets used to dominate that understanding for sure um and so we resist yes we do (laughs) speaking of resistance yeah uh resistance is tied to resilience in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways yeah um and I think so talking about stories of resilience, which is the last sermon we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. I've seen some people pushing back against a resilience narrative. Specifically, this is about COVID-19 um, yeah. because they see it as a, a way to distract from the failures of government. <laughs> so I've right. seen people say like... And it's, it's like, like a sugarcoating personal yeah. responsibility. Yeah, for sure. Right. So saying like the resilience of, you know, our humankind and like specifically like as a you like a u.s narrative like the resilience of the american people is like so inspiring and it's like we'll stop making us be resilient and start right exactly (laughs) right Um, right but i think like the way the resilience is framed as really creative rather than Mm -hmm. you know fatalistic i think is really amazing the story of the chalice can you just recap where the chalice came from quickly yeah Okay, so in I had never heard this, the- by the way, and I loved this. <gasps> really, I never knew it's this. Such, it's such a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna get the years wrong now, offhand, like doing this offhandedly. Um, but so basically, during World War II, this guy named Reverend Joy, literally his last name was Joy, um, who was like the chair of the Unitarian Service Committee, because this was bo- before the Unitarians and the Universalists merged in the 1960s. Um, so he was sent to Portugal as the, as the sort of head person, um, and he was there to help refugees. So primarily Jews sort of escaping the Holocaust, because it was one of the, um, I think Lisbon was like one of the last ports still open um, for people trying to leave to go to Britain or just to like leave the continent. Um, and so he got there and what part of what he realized was all of these refugees fleeing didn't have any kind of documentation, right? Like if you're leaving, like if your house is burning down, are you going to remember to get your passport or your birth certificate, right? Like mm-hmm. that was the, the sort of problem that these people were in is they were fleeing and they had no documentation about who the, who they were to prove that they were safe and to be allowed past the British blockade. Um, and so what Joy did was he decided that he was just going to make up travel documents. And so he started like, falsifying documentation (laughs) um, to give to all these refugees so that they were allowed to pass through the British blockade to get to safety. Um, And what he decided slash realized was that they they needed like a seal of authority to look like they were real. 
Um, and so he hired this Austrian refugee named Hans Deutsch to create a symbol that would be the seal from the the Unitarian Service Committee. Um, I don't know if they... That's a, I would like to see one of these documents because I'm realizing, like, I don't know if it said on the document that that's who was making them. Regardless. <laughs> so the chalice symbol was created to be the seal of authority that were put on these falsified travel documents. So um, rad. Mostly for Jewish refugees, right? So there was this, like, Christian minister named Joy... Um, and a Jewish refugee who is an artist working together to like create this thing um, uh, to like claim their authority to then provide safe passage for all these people. And they passed thousands of people this way. Um, the records show that it's somewhere between one and 3,000 people were passed by the Unitarian Service Committee with this stamp. Um, and then in the 70s, it appeared again on... Um, I think the UUA's directory and it was sort of this like reclaiming this symbol and then in the 1980s is when congregations like turned it into an actual physical ritual which I find fascinating that it actually started as a symbol not as a liturgical object yeah. or like a thing that we did it started as this like literally a, st- a seal um, to be stamped onto documents which I find just like so incredible and so like wily and like (laughs) like i this i mean this reverend joy character must have just been such a fascinating person because can you even imagine like faced with the holocaust you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna trick them this like it's amazing yes the like irreverent twinkle in the eye behind this is just like blowing me away to do like so much good when like in the face of staggering violence like i cannot even imagine right like you know that you will not complete that task um but you can do something yeah yeah i mean there's so much in that story too that i don't have fully formed words yet around like the institutionalization of identity and legitimacy and authority. Yep. Yep. Um, Right. And like, there's a lot of talk about like, you know, is it better to work within or outside the system? Right. And I think that's like, can be a little bit oversimplifying and reductive. Yes. Like, right. He exploited the system's over dependence on institutionalized authority Yes. To subvert it. <laughs> right. Like, right. That's so. In service to good. Right. Right. Like, like, I think, I think there's amazing. a lot. There's like, I think there's like a lot to learn about that as a tactic. Um, yeah, for sure. And so I'm going to be like thinking about that as like a practical tactic. Well, it's and such, I think yeah. it's such a faithful thing to do, right? To mm-hmm. like have so much faith in like your capacity to like move Mm -hmm. and to resist um that just blows my mind right and thinking about too like what we started talking about in the beginning with this like old unitarian idea that that like all people have the authority to um like draw wisdom from their own experience it's like still part of that yeah um like, who's to say I don't have the authority to do this? Right. right. 
And I think that, I mean, that confidence is absolutely essential to pull off a grift like that, right? Uh-huh. It's like, uh-huh. it's, it's along the same lines, obviously a much more important application, but it's the same thing as like, <laughs> if you dress nicely and enter with confidence, you can get into oh, any party. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, for sure. Having that. It's knowing how to game, sense game of belonging what's going on. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking very hard well, on that. I'm feel also, like, yeah. Like he also, like he he was owning that he did have the authority to say like I know who these people are. Yeah. Like yeah. I know enough about who these people are to say that they're safe. Yeah. Um, and like that that wasn't fake, right? Like he right. did know that he did know enough to say that to say that these people were safe, um, which I think is amazing, right? To like own your power that profoundly. Um, Especially in the face of, like, extraordinary danger. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i thinking, too, about how this relates to co-conspiratorship. Um, mm, yeah. Yep. Like, which is, there's, there's a lot of talk about um, terminology around, uh, like, collaboration between like people who are oppressed and those who are privileged and like some people don't like the word ally. Um, some right. people prefer like co-conspirator and stuff like that. Yep. Um, yeah. But we're talking about more or less the same thing. Although the, dis- I mean the linguistic distinctions do matter, but yeah. Collaboration between people with privilege and people without it with a right. And, and that like an ally is not like an identity that you get to claim yeah. for yourself. <laughs> right. That's right. Static right. and like I, complete. Yeah. Um, I saw at Target, speaking of allies, they had these, like, what were really cute, but also really confusing to me on this note, um, doggy bandanas that were, like, the pride flag with the sort of um, POC and trans colors added, and then it said mm-hmm. ally on it, and I was like, uh, can your dog, I mean, I guess my dog <laughs> is an ally, like, my dog definitely loves everyone equally and unabashedly, but, like, this seems like a stretch. <laughs> I mean, is I love Henry. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Is no, he fighting like, for queer liberation understand. in his right. spaces? Right. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I mean, I love a good rainbow, maybe, but maybe, yeah, that I mean, not. talk about like that imagery being sanitized and commercialized oh, yeah. if it's yeah. being sold like in a Target, doggy right? bandana. Like, I mean, there's okay. a huge, there's a huge amount of capital D discourse about like yes. the commodification of pride and all of oh, that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, Anyways, I do which I don't <laughs> have the energy to get into right now because I don't yeah. care. You I can't mean, I, I do it. care, but whatever. Um, yeah. It's emotionally loaded and draining, right? Yes, and Pride it is. was a riot, not not yes. like a happy sparkle an anti- party. It was an anti-cop riot, by the way. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Started by it a, was like yeah a black trans sex worker or something, right? Yeah, I mean it was a whole like Marsha. I'm, I'm yeah, Marsha P. Johnson. Yes, thank you. Um, I mean she was resistant in a lot of ways. Like yeah. her resistance looked that in that one like stonewall uprising. Yeah. Like she was part of a lot of people who were like throwing coins at cops and like trapped them in a building. And like, it was violent anti-cop yeah. sentiment was this riot. Yeah. Um, there was like, you know, it was a riot. It was violent. 
Um, yeah, it was not a it was not a happy rainbow parade. No, and it was also I mean a lot of her work also she did survival sex work and she yeah. did a lot of work to help um, like protect other people in her community. Her and Sylvia Rivera were both mm-hmm. very like big names Central. in yeah. um, like survival and like mutual aid stuff in their communities. Yeah. Um, and that you know gets less airtime, but is. Also right. well, incredibly subversive. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, also very subversive. But so anyway, that we digress. Is, where did, where we, did we, we digress? I don't know. Um, but You're again, a fearless like, leader. <laughs> <laughs> me? Oh, God. Uh, for the podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> um, I am not fearless. Oh, yeah. Well, all. we were. So we were talking about the sort of. Um, like resilience as a cover yes. up, basically, as like a, a passing of responsibility. Um, I mean, that's a total is, bastardization of what like resilience yes. actually means. Yes. Like it's resilience is like agile, like right. dodging and like right. total creativity and imagination right. and like rooting into community. And right. It's not like an individualistic fatalism. Yeah. It's like no. a community, like agility. Um, yeah. And I feel like when people, this sort of misuse of resilience is really like survivalism or something mm-hmm. is like you made it through and it's like, okay, but that's right. Like we shouldn't like praising it's it's like the the you're so strong because of everything you've been through is just like ooh. yeah falling back into that redemptive suffering narrative exactly exactly like it, it just goes yeah. into really bad places yeah um, so yeah. yes we celebrate imagination creativity agility and reject yeah. the notion that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger indeed it does not um. <laughs> I think that was everything that I wanted to cover. Um, is there anything that you want to say about you know, what's going to happen over the summer? Um, yeah. So we have, speaking of collaborating, um, mm-hmm. we have started over the course of the year, this has been sort of developing in different ways, but we've been calling it the circle of churches, which is basically there are like, I always get this wrong, like eight or so UU congregations like that are really local to Westboro that are all around us. And so over this past year, we've been trying to like collaborate more and think about how we can work together more. Um, and so like we, the ministers, we meet once a month. Um, and so instead of in previous summers, we've sort of occasionally gone and visited other congregations. And so this summer we're, um, we're renaming that Circle Sundays to reference this circle of congregations. Um, and each congregation that's participating, um, or there are a handful of congregations that have each offered to lead a couple of services. Um, and then we're making it available to all of the sort of um, local U congregations in this region as this like, we're doing this thing together where if we each chip in and do a couple of Sundays, then there are services for the whole summer. Um, and it's sort of this like better together way of doing things and to build more connections and hear more voices. Um, so I think it's going to be really nice. And so they start this coming Sunday is flower communion. Um, 
So that's our, our last Sunday of the year. And then the 20th, which is Father's Day, um, that will be the first Circle Sunday. Um, and they're at 10 a.m. on Zoom. Um, and then on the 27th, because that's during gen General Assembly, we will live stream um, the UUA's service from General Assembly um, as a service on the 27th. And then they go for the rest of the summer um, because our first um, official Sunday of the church year is like September 13th or something. It's the Sunday after Labor Day. Um, so I think it'll be really good and sweet and like help everybody take a break and help everybody with their Zoom fatigue while still offering yeah. this right place to gather um, and the sort of steadiness of knowing like church will still happen, right? Like it, it happens in a more low-key way, again, because of that like academic calendar thing. Um, but I think they should be really good and sweet. And Kayla's going to do music for hours um, I don't know if the other congregations, I don't know if their music directors do summer services. Um, but yeah, it should be a good time. Um, so that's happening. We're sort of doing the trying to figure out, um, sort of assuming that in the fall we'll be able to be in person, um, like hoping more and more people get vaccinated and everything keeps getting safer, especially for like the most immunocompromised folks and for kids because i think little kids still aren't cleared to get vaccinated um mm -hmm. so we're figuring out like all the tech stuff to do some version of um making in-person services in the sanctuary also accessible digitally mm -hmm. um so we're figuring out all those kinds of things which like most congregations are also <laughs> like we're all now in this like okay so do we do we have like a projector? Do we do like paper handouts on Sunday? Like how does this all work now? Um, so we'll be, we'll be working on figuring that out. Um, so yeah, it should be a good time. And last time we talked about the Ujima project um, mm. and we, I don't know what it is as of today, but as of Sunday, our goal was um, $2,500 in, um, donations from the congregation to then be matched by $2,500 from the finance committee, like our church funds. Mm -hmm. um, and as of Sunday, we were at $2,000 and like Ooh. 18 family units or something. Cause the goal wow. is to get like, right in like a week and a half. Because the goal, Yeah. Yeah. Cause the goal is to get super widespread participation because yeah, um, like we talked about, this is about relationship building and is not, um, yes, it's about like money and contributing to this organization and the relationship and having sort of people feel like they have a stake in it is um, a big part of the goal to get more like community collaboration. So yeah. that's really cool, though, that we did that so fast. Yeah. Um, so I mean, if you're, say that again. Yeah, the, the thing that I was reacting to is the number of contributors more than exactly the dollar right because like, the goal awesome. was not to get like one person to give all the money because that that's not super right they meaningful. can do that by themselves <laughs> right exactly exactly and you can right like you can individually invest in the ojima fund um but the goal is to to sort of create this partnership between our congregation and this organization so i think it's pretty cool like go that's team awesome. yeah, yeah. I, I mean like long-term liberation work is rooted completely in relationship building rather exactly. than fundraising and so i think yes. that's 
that's right. really cool that those things right. are that that that's the foundation of this yeah so yeah ditto i'm excited about that that's great yeah so to be continued and um, i hope you get some rest during your time off oh, me too <laughs> it's been a long year although yes. i will say like i am so proud of us and yeah, so impressed by how this year went right like yeah. i'm yeah like i've had a number of people say that like they this year they realized how important this community was to them in a way that wasn't as evident before the pandemic um and i've also heard of like lots of people who felt like their congregation like it just wasn't doing it for them because everything was pre-recorded or it just wasn't working um and we've seemingly right from people's feedback and from general participation like I think we did a really good job staying engaged and staying connected in like the wildest of circumstances. Yeah. Um, so that is something to be very proud of. And there was like, w- there was no bickering about like, should we be in person? It was like, we were so clear and rooted in what was, so- what was most important. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful thing to see in an organization that's like so clear about its values and principles that like, there's no debate about, right? Like the the most important thing is people's health and safety and nothing mm-hmm. that we do in person like trumps that. Yeah. Um, so go us. Yeah, I think. And like we had a lot of fun. There were lots of gift bags. There were lots of like deliveries of like cupcakes for, you know, like I think that was Zumapalooza. They were brownies <laughs> delivered for the auction with tiny churches. Like we did a good job like making do in weird circumstances i mean i think this is yeah this is a really great opportunity and let's leave this as an invitation to people to like be proud of yourself for getting through yeah (laughs) exactly again with like creativity is part of resilience right agility and like remembering what is most important and letting go of the things that like that's not that doesn't matter right now um yeah and no, no holding oneself to a standard of perfection, right? Yep. Especially, like, never and also definitely not during a pandemic. Um, <laughs> like, can I, yeah. Can I tell you a yeah. framing of that that my friend in law school heard from a, one of her professors? And I just, yeah. like, it works so well for me. Like, I tell myself this all the time when I'm in a perfectionist, like, tailspin. <laughs> I'm so curious. Yeah. It's like... Her professor is like, you know what? This time, don't go for the pretty win. An ugly win is a win. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yes. So, like, yeah, no pretty I wins. No pretty wins. Like, we're going for the like, ugly like, wins. Like, let's do scrappy wins. Yes. Like, scrappy, scrappy wins, wins is a good one. Like, yeah. I cried through it. It was inefficient. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> like, Good job. Like the outcome is cobbled together, but like that's how it got done. And so I think. Well, you know what? Someone actually like said that to me about how, like, looking back at the at the last year, they they actually felt really sweet about like when we were very first figuring out how to do Zoom services and like had no idea what we were doing, because it was just like so sincere and like we were doing our best and it was not shiny and like. Right. Like sometimes yeah. that's the most beautiful thing. Right. Yeah. It's like it's not perfect. And that is like the most heartwarming. Yeah. So, so. anyway, here's to the scrappy. Cheers. 
<laughs> scrappy wins. Cheers. Yeah. Here's to scrappy wins and community and being resilient and like kind of wily and, you know. And reappropriating authoritative type yeah. looking seals. And yeah, I'm all for yeah. it. Yeah. And like, like dance poles, right? <laughs> all of the above. Great. All of the above. All right. Well, I hope you have an amazing and restful summer. And by you, Thank I mean you. you, Laurel. And also everyone who is under the yeah, everybody of my who's listening. voice right now. Yeah. Yes. So we'll be back in the fall. Um, can't wait. Back at it, as I say. <laughs> I can't wait to be back and back at it. <laughs> Until then. Yes. Signing bye-bye. off. <laughs> okay, bye. bye. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org. All are welcome.